0: Hello, this is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for finding me at the Sonic Sema Podcast YouTube channel or at wwwsonic com. Earlier this year, I went to the Atlanta Film Festival, and one of the movies I saw there was Summer Night. It's a coming-of-age comedy drama about musicians in a small town, and it's it's very much like a lot of other uh, coming-of-age movies but this one I, I found really affecting and it takes a lot for me to really appreciate anything in this genre and I think they did it really well with uh, characters that were interesting and music that was really well uh, produced and uh, performed for the movie I got a chance there to uh, speak a little bit with the uh, director, Joseph Cross, before and after the movie. You can find that audio on the Song podcast episode about the Atlanta Film Festival. I got a chance to talk with him a little bit more in preparation for the July 12th um, release of Summer Night in Atlanta, where it's going to be playing at the Plaza Theater in uh, downtown Atlanta, which is where I saw it. At the film festival, and I'm pleased be I'm pleased to uh, give you a listen to that interview right now. Hello, hey Brian, how's it going? It's going well. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for getting on a call with me. Oh, no problem. So is has the movie had the movie uh, already gone into release at other places, or is this the uh, opening weekend for it? Uh, sorry, repeat that question. Uh, when is is this the opening weekend for Summer Night uh, debuting, or has it been in other it cities is. yet?
1: No, it's played a couple festivals, but this is the release is on Friday, uh, July twelfth this okay. week.
0: All right, excellent. Um, are you nervous about it all? Uh, i I'm,
1: I'm thrilled. I'm really excited. I feel great. I mean, there's been. There's so, so much work of so many great, amazing, talented people that went into making this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, as a director, sometimes you almost just feel like a like a vessel for everybody else's ability. Um, so I'm really happy for all of them to have that great work recognized. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I just hope people, people come see the film and that they know about it uh, so they can come see it, but they enjoy it.
0: What was the uh, what was the genesis of you uh, making making this movie starting out? You mean
1: why why this for the first, my first film?
0: Yeah. Um
1: well, I you know, I grew up in a way that was very similar to these characters. Um a small town uh with a very close knit group of friends. Um, and we all had our own creative ambitions that were, you know, uh, to varying degrees successful and frustrating and all that. Um, and so, you know, for whatever reason it, it spoke to me. And so when I, when I first read Jordan Jell's script, I hadn't really been thinking about directing anything. Um, I just responded to the piece of material. So. You know, Jordan. and I just kept talking and talking about it, and we started working on the script and improving on this. And at a certain point, I was like, you know, I think I would want to to shoot this, to direct this, if that's something that you're open to. And Jordan was, not so we phoned up his boss uh, or the guy he, he was working for, James Ponsil, at the time. Uh, I think Jordan's still working for him as his um, writer's assistant. And we asked James, you know, would you read the script and talk to us about it and see if it's something that you would. Uh, become an executive producer on to give us a little bit of, of gas in the tank. And uh, thankfully, James was was awesome and, and came on board, and we went from there.
0: Okay. Uh, when when you think of – because this, this movie is very much a coming-of-age uh, movie, like there are a lot of uh, coming-of-age movies – were there any in particular mm-hmm. that you had in mind when you were saying out to make this movie?
1: Um, well, the, one of the things that I loved about the script that I thought was new to the genre was that the characters are in their early 20s, they're post-college or whatever they did during the time that people go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the movies that I had grown up on that were coming of age were all, like, last day of high school. Um yeah. You know, they were younger. So I liked that it pushed back the age and I thought that it gave us something unique to explore. Um, I'm sorry, now I completely forgot where your question was.
0: No, it was basically <laughs> sorry, were there, if, if there were any uh, coming of age movies that you might have had in mind. While oh, specific you were coming of age
1: movies, movies. right. Um, well, definitely. I started from a position, you know, I think that Breaking Away was a big uh, influence on Jordan. Um there were, you know, there were there was a time when Universal used to make these movies yeah. as their own genre essentially. So all of those movies informed what we did. You know what I mean? We are in the vein of that tradition. Yeah.
0: Um
1: and then, you know, I spent a lot of time watching the great ensemble films um and just getting to revisit all the Robert Altman movies, which was a joy. Mm-hmm. Um and to go from there to watch, rewatch all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies and really get to see that influence there. Um, So, yeah, we, I definitely, I watched all the, uh, I think all the coming of age uh, American movies um, that there are. I'm sure, maybe I'm sure I missed a few, Um, but I also, at the same time, you know, to to understand tone and where we fit into the, uh, the canon of the genre. But, um, but I was also watching a lot of ensemble movies to understand how we could interweave storylines in a way that was that was fun and exciting.
0: Yeah, when going back to what you were saying earlier about uh, the fact that this is kind of set in with the characters in their twenties and sort of out of school, uh, that it didn't occur to me until you mentioned that that yeah, there really are not a whole lot of. Movies that are set in that time frame. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of movies with people in their 20s, that are, but you don't really mm-hmm. get the idea. You don't really get a whole lot that I can remember where it's that very specific time sort of like after school where you're, you're still trying to kind of figure out what your place in life right.
1: is. Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, now we're in a time where I don't want to say everybody goes to college, but people are expected to go to college more so than Mm -hmm. maybe back, you know, in the time of those other movies that we're referencing. Um, So it is this uh, time where you're left wondering, now what? What am I going to be? What am I going to do? What are my priorities? What do I want to get out of life?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's almost more... A little bit more painful post college, I think, because you're even older, and I think expectations are much higher uh, for people that age. Um, you know, people are expecting you to act like an adult, and you've got zero uh, adult experience.
0: Yeah. So,
1: you know, I think I didn't end up. I didn't take a traditional like. Four years of college, graduating and find a job route with my life, but I grew up on the East Coast and most of my close friends that I grew up with, um, all of whom are in this movie in spirit one way or another, um, a lot of them, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did have a friend actually super glue his nose back together after uh, a, we got a shard of glass in it from a bottle exploding mm-hmm. in a fire pit. That's an aside, but anyway, he gets a little shout-out when, you know, Callan McCullough's character says, I'll just super glue it. Um, anyhow, uh, I, di- I didn't take that traditional route, but I watched people who did, and my friends graduated in '08, which was right after the, um, the, the credit crisis in America. So jobs really dried up, and there was sort of a lot of confusion as to what the next 10 years or 20 years – was going to look like uh, and i I just watched a lot of struggle in them, and I had it in myself as well uh in that time, so it made sense to me almost ten years later when I read Jordan's script, I felt like, oh you know this is a this is the period of life that i I'm far enough away from but still interested in mm-hmm. enough to to reflect on and meditate on as we you know, work through the script over the course of two years, uh, you know, and all the way up until you shoot the first take, and then again between takes one and two, and again between two and three. So, um, yeah, it was just it was an interesting period in a in a group of friends' life to, to take a look at for me.
0: What was the biggest? Uh, what was, what would you say is probably the biggest uh, challenge? Uh, for you when it came to directing your first feature?
1: Well, I mean, there's so many. The My experience, I had a lot of experience with film and television, but it was limited to on set. Um, you know, and act, actors are some of the final pieces to be brought um, onto the project. So, you know, I I felt that I could... Yeah, I, and I had worked with actors for so long, I felt some confidence in being able to get performances that I was happy with and communicating with actors and being able to, um, you know, get in, understand their each individual process and work within that to make everybody the best that they could be. And I certainly stumbled. I'm not saying that was all smooth sailing, but I mm-hmm. felt some confidence in that. Um, you know, what I really spent a lot of time uh understanding was you know with your camera work and your editing and your sound and your music how to set a tone and a feel and then to establish a pace and to maintain that pace and a a big part as well with this was figuring out um, because it's a big ensemble figuring out how you're going to uh, weave those storylines together you know tease them all in the beginning and then flow naturally in and out of them so I spend a lot of time working on that um yeah I you know there's there used to be this amazing bookstore on Sunset called Samuel French it just closed but they had free coffee in the back and I spent the better part of two years from when I found from when I met Jordan and uh, started working with his script to when we got on set just absorbing as much film uh literary, you know, books about filmmaking and interviews uh that I could um as well as just watching lots and lots of movies.
0: hmm Uh you mentioned uh, Robert Altman, looking at Robert Altman a look a lot when it came to uh getting ready to think about this movie. Where are some of your other uh favorite where are some other filmmakers that you might consider your favorites?
1: Um, well, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I watched all of Alfonso Cuaron's movies before this, because I also felt that he had sort of a, there's a similar flow, uh, in terms of camera movement in his style. Um, oh geez, you you put me on the spot. (laughs) Of course, this is like, you know, the one question where it's like, you know, where do you, where do you begin? I'm trying to think yeah. of um, I love Martin Scorsese's movies. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with Steven Spielberg, and when I, I didn't even understand what the concept of a roaming master take was, I just remember thinking on set like, wow, we're really moving around a lot in this scene. You know, there's a lot a lot that he's having the actors do. There's so much there's so much more blocking on a Spielberg movie than I had experienced before. And then, you know, you start reading about the economy of the Roaming Master shot and, uh, you know, what uh, it is to accomplish something in a, you know, a piece of a scene or a full scene in a single take and what uh, the audience gets from not having a cut. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of who else, but those are the things that come to mind immediately
0: yeah there there's a lot of there's a lot of music in this and a lot of it and a lot of the movie revolves around a uh, music uh bar where bands are playing and stuff like that and one of the things that i really liked about the movie is i i felt like the way that you shot the musical sequences and the way that you cut the musical sequences there's really a lot of emotions playing within those scenes and I really I really I, I it's something that I really resonated with watching the movie what was the, what were some of the challenges in uh in making those sequences come to life so
1: the first uh thank you first of all and um the the first First, you know, we knew that this was going to be a uh, music was going to play a very big part um, in this film, uh, and so setting the soundscape early was very important. And I started working with a music supervisor named Rob Lowry pretty much right when I started working on the script, and Rob and I were just trading music back and forth, um, mostly him sending me amazing music. Uh, and when we found the Whitney album. Light Upon a Lake, we felt like, okay, we've got our tone. Like, this is our North Star. We can always come back to this album, and hopefully we can afford a couple songs from it, uh, two of which we have that, that close the movie up. Um, so we started there, and we, then we would branch out. Uh, we branched out from there to other bands that we thought fit into that soundscape, like um, like The Big Thief and Hop Along, uh, the gnome Bass song in the beginning, um, the Jackie Green song in the second bar. And then from there, you know, we had to cast bands. And we had to cast bands. I wanted to cast three bands that were had their own unique sound, but you also felt you could you could believe that they came from the same mm-hmm. place, you know, in the country. Um and then each of those bands had to have a sound had to have, you know, songs that had the emotion and lyrics to reflect what the characters themselves were going through while they were playing in that band. So the first band, Ruby the Rabbitfoot, that Hayden Zito and Ian Nelson play in, um, I, I can't think of, a, a lot of the lyrics are mirroring what, Ian's character's going through. So the first lyrics out of Ruby's mouth are, um, I know you're probably thinking of ways ways to be good to me. And, you know, the last time we saw Ian with Amelie Tipton was when, uh, you know, she basically asks him to leave because he's just too caught up in his own life to mm-hmm. recognize that she needs him on a deeper level. And so that, you know, the whole time you're watching um, that band, hopefully you know, you're experiencing a little bit of what Ian's character is going through. Uh, and, yeah, so then, you know, the other bands, Roadkill Ghost Choir, sort of similar, um, some, somewhat with Justin Chapman, who's on stage, but even more so with the um, the other storylines that we cut away to. You know, we wanted to, that plays in the background, but it's also the music underlying the scene, so it's meant to inform that, like, uh, you know, the final... Uh, shot of um, Lena Camporis when she's outside talking to Victoria Justice before we cut back to the second band. It's a very specific part of the song that I think accentuates her emotion at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, Deep State, the final band, the punk band that Callan McAuliffe plays in, uh, they were fun. You know what I mean? They were fun. They had amazing energy. You feel like Callan's character is that kind of like sweet punk rocker, basically, you know? Um, and so they all just matched up. Those three bands that we found after, you know, searching through a lot of different bands and those songs that they had written, this matched up really well with the uh, narrative of the, of the movie and they had the right sound. And all the actors learned to play those songs, which was awesome. And they did that on their own time. Uh, I'll just do, make an excuse right now to to mention how extremely hardworking and wonderful and fantastic this cast was, Mm -hmm. it was a a little movie, you know, um, we're probably like our whole budget is like one day of craft service on transformers. (laughs) So uh, when they come and do that and not only come and do it, but put their heart and soul and everything into it, it's just, you know, I really, really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think all that hard work shows,
0: what was it about Georgia that uh, made you uh, decide to film there? Well, I mean,
1: um, I don't want to take the romance out of it, but there is a practical component of filmmaking and financing mm-hmm. and where things shoot, you know, for economic reasons, specifically tax incentives. And so, you know, where, you're, where you decide to film your movie may or may not give you 30% more movie to shoot. You know what I mean? Um, So of course, when you're, when you're searching for the place that, especially with a movie of our size comes into play, but that's, you know, that extra bit of money is worthless. If you haven't found the the place that fits the story in the script. So, so we had an eye toward Georgia and a couple other States, but when Tara Ansley, our producer, she's from Peachtree city, she, introduced me to the, the, the city of, or town of Noonan, Georgia. And I just felt the look was was perfect. The feel was perfect. It felt like it could be, it, it has a bit of a timeless feel. It has a bit of an anywhere feel. There was just something really, just something really charming about that town. And it had the train tracks that I wanted um, and it had a clock tower, which was a wonderful bonus. You know, when you're making a movie that takes place over the course of one night, you know, getting mm-hmm. to cut back to a, a clock tower in the town square that you've established—you know—that that's that's great. Um, so, so once we found Noonan, we knew we knew where we were going.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Joseph, thank you very much for uh, speaking with me today. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, it's it's so it's. In I I think once when you mentioned that you know it was it was about twenty year olds and that sort of time frame that we, you know that we talked about a little bit that doesn't really get represented a lot and that time frame that doesn't really mm-hmm. I I think that's ultimately part that might be part of the reason why, uh why it resonated with me so much when I did see it because of the fact that it's like it was a different it wasn't just about high schoolers it wasn't just about Right. So, oh, that natural rite of passage of going from high school to college or wherever you lead after that, it was because of the fact that it was that point mm-hmm. in time that I remember very vividly, you know, after you know, start first going into adulthood and what is that going to look like? And mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I think you did a really great job of capturing that in a very entertaining way.
1: Thank you so much. I really and I appreciate that you appreciate it, you know the movie reflecting on that time in life because mm-hmm. I felt all the same things that that you're expressing. So, um, so it's nice to to hear that it landed with somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for uh, talking with me today.
1: Cool. Thank you, Brian. Feel free to reach out to the if, if you need anything else. Oh, and last thing with the music, it's you know most of that music is source music most of it is what the characters themselves are listening to so that's another excuse you know another way that i was able to bolster just a tiny bit yeah. um you know to develop a little bit more character i mean some some things we cheat on a little bit and some mm-hmm. things are obviously score but the majority of it is meant to be playing in their life so that was the last thing i thought i'd mention on the music anyway well Excellent. thanks brian
0: oh thank you Thank you very much to Joseph Cross for uh, talking with me about Summer Night, uh, which opens Friday at the Plaza Atlanta Theater on Ponce de Leon, where I actually saw it for the first time this April. Uh, That's it for now. Thank you for joining me for this special interview with uh, Joseph Cross. Uh, You can catch the movie starting in theaters on Friday, July 12th. And it's really an entertaining movie. It touches on a time of life that isn't really represented a whole lot. And I think that's part of the reason why, for me especially, it, uh, it had an impact uh, beyond other typical uh, coming-of-age stories. So that's it for me. Check me out on www.sonic-sinema.com for more reviews, podcasts, blogs, and uh, more and at the Songsima Podcast YouTube channel. Thank you very much.